Okay. Uh, Exodus 16, 11 through 36, and, and we'll begin with a time of review like we always do. We've been in Exodus 16 for the last four weeks. Uh, we won't be there next week since we're not meeting. Um, and we still won't be there next week. And the next time we meet, we'll actually move on to chapter 17. But we'd, the reason we uh, covered it in four weeks or are covering it in four weeks is there are just so many um, things there that we, that we need to pay attention to. One of them, the first was grumbling, if you remember. The second was that the Lord tests his people. Will they walk in my instruction or not? The third one was about the Sabbath. Um, it's actually introduced in chapter 16, Exodus 16, for the first time. And then tonight, uh, we'll move on to the, the title that the ESV has for this chapter, Bread from Heaven. So we've, we've made it all the way th- through 16 so far without really talking about what that is, what the bread from heaven is. And so for review, we'll just read through a few verses, get us ready for um, Exodus 16:11 with this context. So this is Exodus 16:2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, "If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full." For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Will they walk in my instruction or not? So it starts off, the quote from the Lord, his response to their grumbling is, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And so what is this bread that the Lord is going to rain down from heaven? Uh, Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We'll do it with two questions. The first is, what is the bread from heaven? So we all know that as manna. So what, is, what actually is manna? And then secondly, and, and so it, that, that question, though, comes right out of verse 15, where it says this. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? So what is what is this stuff? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So right away we can see a couple things um, from about what it is, is that it comes from the Lord. It comes from heaven. Uh, and secondly, it's for the people to eat. Right. So this manna is for them to eat. It's to be their food uh, in the wilderness. So first question, what is the bread from heaven? We're going to talk more about that. And the other question is, what is the true bread from heaven? And we'll get to that after a little bit, but we'll start with what is 
the bread from heaven. So Exodus 16, if you haven't turned there yet, Exodus 16, we're going to be in verse 11. So verse 11 starts a new section in, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, I, I mentioned back a while ago that the breaks in chapter 16 are not the same as the breaks that we would uh, see in our English Bibles. Um, and this is one of those kind of breaks. It's meant to be a, either a shift in what's talked about or, to, or to, to make you focus on uh, what is happening at the, at the change of sections here. So uh, the, here we're going to start with, with verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. So, you know, over the years, people have used things in the Bible to try to, try to do special diets. I haven't seen this one yet, where people say, well, I'm going to eat bread in the morning. At night, I'm going to eat meat. I mean, you've seen Ezekiel bread, where, where it take, it's taken right out of Ezekiel what's in it, and people go and buy that and eat it. But, but the result of them eating meat in the evening and, and having bread uh, in the daytime or in the morning is that then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So when this happens, the goal is, what God tells them, is that you're going to know that I am God, that I, the Lord, am your God when this happens. And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, There was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. So they had noticed the quail, obviously, and they had quite a feast, most likely. And so in the morning, they go out to see and look what's on the ground now, and they notice the dew. It's the first thing they notice, is the dew. And they also notice that it evaporates. So when the dew evaporates, they've got something left on the ground. Fine, flake-like things. Fine as frost. So they're small, um, thin things on the ground. Some kind of a residue that has been there from the dew, apparently. And notice what it looks like. It looks like it is what the frost looked like. It's fine. Flake-like, flaky, so they've never seen anything like that before, so that's where that, that, their question comes. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So that little question uh, keep this, this in mind. I'm going to say it in Hebrew just so you can kind of hear it. What is it? Man who. Or you might pronounce it man who. Kind of like manna. 
Not quite like manna. Manhu, what is it? So they ask each other, what is it? Because, of course, they didn't know what it was. Then so Moses told them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat, that he has rained down from heaven. So more theories about that, what that is or another theory of what that is, we will talk about that later, but not yet. Um, so this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. So the bread is for everyone to eat. Right? The bread's for everyone. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat or should eat. There's a, there's a translation question, if you remember that, um, how to translate this. Is it all you can eat or all you should eat or all you, all, all you need to eat? What, what is that? But the point is here, everybody has enough bread. So there is enough of this stuff out there that there's bread from everybody, for everybody. The bread from heaven... God provides plenty and to excess for the people. Now, if you think about that, coming out of Egypt, um, there are over 600,000 men coming out of Egypt. Um, estimates are, you know, at least a couple million people coming out, of, coming out of Egypt. And each of them gathered as much as he or she could eat for the family. So that's what they did. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So that the bread from heaven can spoil. It has an expiration date. Um, not, not as long as most of the things we have in our refrigerator, but it does have an expiration date. Um, it's going to be a day, generally, and this was part of the test. Gather the thing of the day on the day. So it's not going to keep for you. This manna does not keep for you uh, overnight, with one exception, as you know. So, and the lesson that we were to learn from that is that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth, mouth of the Lord. doesn't matter how much bread there is. You can't keep it. So you can, only, you can only benefit from it if you listen to what the Lord says. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So you, you can't gather the bread any time you want. You have to gather it when the Lord tells you to gather it. Because if you wait too long, it will melt. So you have to gather the bread while it's there. Make hay while the sun shines is what they used to say for things like that. But you have to do it when it's there. So 
the next few verses deal with the Sabbath, and since we just covered that last week, we'll read through those with, with just minimal comments. And he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left lay aside to be kept till morning. But there is one thing to notice there. You can bake it. It would melt if you left it outside, but you can bake it and you can boil it. So it's a way that it can be prepared that way, whatever manna is. And so they laid it aside till morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. It has an expiration date, which is the next day, unless the Lord says there's no expiration date tomorrow. This stuff does not have an expiration. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord, and today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Another thing we notice about manna then is it isn't available all the time. Again, it's available when the Lord is going to Make it when it's going to be there. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So the ESV has a paragraph break here, and and it's it's a good place for a paragraph break. Uh, Because the next few verses, um, beginning in verse 31 now, are part of a section that is out of sequence, let's just say it, um, of the rest of the narrative. In other words, the rest of this chapter, verses 31 to 36, do not fall between Exodus 16.30 and Exodus 17.1. And you'll see what I mean as we go through that. But this, this had to be written at least 40 years or about 40 years after the event, after the, the, what's going on in the narrative. So at least 40 years later, which doesn't preclude um, that it was part of the original text, but it's just the sequence of events is different. It's like we put a summary of what, what something about the bread from heaven in here. We put it in here, we're, we're, wrap, we're going to tell you more about the bread from heaven uh, in this little section here. For example, when you get to 35, it's going to say this. The people of Israel ate manna for 40 years. Well, it's not 40 years between now and, and the beginning of the next chapter, and beginning of chapter 17. So this is just telling us, it's making a summary for us 
of some of the instructions that the Lord has for his purposes. So, um, 1631. Now the house of Israel, even just notice the change in the way that that's said. House of Israel rather than people of Israel as it's been, or sons of Israel as it's been quite literally. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. So, manhu, what is it? So, the what is man. Or, if you're going to pronounce it like in America, man. Man. What? So, what is it? What do we know about it so far? What do we know about this what? Because that's, that's actually what it, what it said. That's what it's named. They called it man. There's no, in, in the Hebrew, there's no... Uh, on the end. It's not man, uh. It's man. They called it what? In our, that's the way you'd say it. If we were, if we're going to trans, translate it. And they called it what? Because they didn't know what it was. They had no idea. So what is it? So far, so far we know this. It's the bre- bread that the Lord rains down on them every day, except on the Sabbath. It's for all the people to eat. It's for all his people to eat. And there is plenty for everyone. There's more than enough for everyone. It's perishable. It has an expiration date. You have to gather it in the morning. You can't store it up. It provides daily nourishment. It is the thing of the day on its day. It is our daily bread, as Jesus calls us to pray for. And and yet... It's bread for the day. It fills you up. As it's, it satisfies you. It is something that satisfies you, and it is all that you need for sustenance. They've never seen it before, and so they just call it what? But it looks like frost. It looks like fine frost. Um, that doesn't mean it looks like frosted flakes. But it looks like frost, and it looks like flakes, and you can bake it, and you can boil it, and it was given so that you would know that I am the Lord. That's what we. That's what we have, or I, the Lord, am your God. That's that's what we have. So, but this verse tells us a little bit more about what manna is, what this bread from heaven is. It was like coriander seed, white. Well, that doesn't help me much. Um, and, but if you look it up, there are, there are still things that we call coriander seed, and they're, they're little white or little round brown things, very, very small little seeds, um, but they're round, um, and it's white, the color, um, and it, as you'll see, it's probably whitish would be a, a good way to, to say it. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So that's the first we have of what it tastes like. It tastes like wafers made with honey. So that doesn't sound so bad, right? And it sounds like that would be something good to eat. We probably all liked it. We, we might think that we all want to try some manna. That might, be, that might be a good thing to try. Well, there's also a description of manna um, with a little bit more information in, in Numbers, chapter 11, 
verses 7 and 8. And there's a bigger section there, but just specifically about these kind of things. Now, this is from Numbers. Remember, if it's if the reference on top is in yellow, that means it's from not from our text for tonight. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bedellium. And the people went out, went about, and gathered it, and ground it in hand mills, or beat it with in mortars. And boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. So what is all that about? So coriander seed we talked about. Bedellium is some kind of a uh, some kind of a substance that comes out of trees. It's like a gum that comes out of trees. It's, it's, it's kind of yellowish. White, so yellow, yellow, white, uh, but it is on the Arabian Peninsula, and so, um, and then, so besides that, what do we see here? Well, there's there's more here. You can actually grind it up, and if you're going to make it small enough, you can actually beat it. So the fact that they're they're small flakes or round things or both. Um, it kind of explains how you can how you can cook it then if it's something that has some structural integrity to it um, you can actually make things out of it so they boil it in pots uh, they make cakes of it and it tastes like cakes baked with oil as well so it's sweet like honey it's got oil so uh, mentioned before that there are that there are always people who read through Exodus and look for natural explanations to to things that that are in Exodus. So there is a theory about where the, where this comes from. There there are certain kinds of there are a couple of in, actually one's a lice and one's an insect that that hang out in tamarisk trees, right? And they and they eat the sap from the tamarisk trees. And they excrete um, something that is kind of a clearish liquid that's, that's sticky. And it, they do that in the branches of, a tree, of the tamarisk trees. Uh, and it glistens. Um, this comes from, from a guy named Victor Hamilton. Um, but it, not only that, but then it will fall on the ground. So it still exists. It will this the, the theory. It still exists here. It will fall on the ground. But if you wait very long, uh, other insects will eat it, and so it goes away after the morning. So one one downside to thinking that this might be what it is is you can only actually harvest it in in the summertime. So only early summer, May to May through July. And so, you know, God uses things that, that he has built in nature to provide miraculous things all the time. Um, so just Ezekiel, for example, crows bring him bread and meat. Right? It's just it's bread and meat. That's all it says it is. They bring it to him when he's in the wilderness. So, so if this theory were true, though, it would still have to be miraculous because it's not available most of the year. 
And it doesn't just happen six days a week. It happens every day, right? It went it now and during that time. So, and how could you explain it's, it spoils every day unless it's on the Sabbath? So no matter what it is, no matter what, what God used to provide this manna, this what for the people, um, it is miraculous. And he provides it to them for 40 years in the wilderness. And when they get to the promised land, it is no more. So it is miraculous, no matter what it comes from. Um, Verse 32, And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So we've already seen that the Lord can preserve this for a day, an extra day, and now uh, he plans to have this available throughout the generations for as so that they will know, that they'll be able to see what the bread is that, that he fed them in the wilderness. So he can preserve it as long as he wants. He says when it'll spoil, and he says when it won't spoil. That's what God does. So Moses tells them to keep it through their generations, and the reason for doing that is so that they will see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness. God is concerned that we remember the things that happened in this exodus. He reminds people of these things, tells them to remind their children of him. It's a big deal to him that we pay attention to the exodus and what God has done, what we know that God has done. It's important to pay attention to those things. So, when the, pay attention to the plagues. Pay attention to the exodus. Pay attention when you cross the Red Sea. Tell your sons and daughters all about these things. Tell your children about them. And now keep this manna. Keep this manna that I fed them in the wilderness, that I provided for them to meet their every need for food. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. So store it away. Tell your kids about it. This is how that you will remember that the Lord fed you. This is how you will remember that you don't live by bread alone. This is how you will remember that you live by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Verse 34. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. So what does that mean? Placed it before the testimony. Well, the testimony is almost certainly means here the Ark of the Covenant, um, which hasn't been built yet. 
you know, at the time of the narrative. So, so sometime um, it will be built, but he tells him to, to preserve it there. So what's in the, what's in the Ark of the Covenant uh, is this, this manna, um, the copy of the Ten Commandments that are carved in stone, and then also Aaron's rod. Those three things are in the Ark of the Covenant. Again, not constructed yet, but, but the Lord wants to make sure that it gets preserved. And the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Cana. The, an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. So again, the, the omer is about two quarts. And so this comes 40 years later when they reach the edge of of Canaan. So this is, the, this is where the Hebrew breaks it, right at the end of the chapter. So now we're going to ask this question. What is the true bread from heaven? So the people of Israel were to remember these things. Store it away in the covenant. Store away in the Ark of the Covenant so that you remember them. Along with all the other things that happened in in Egypt. But by, by the time Jesus was around, there was no more Ark of the Covenant. It was probably destroyed in, in 586 BC, so 600 years or so before the time of Christ. The Ark of the Covenant had been destroyed. But, and, and Jeremiah says that, that it's never coming back, by the way. So it's never going to be made again. So while the Jewish people at the time of Jesus did not have the ark, did not have the manna, they did not forget about manna. They remembered manna. So they were doing, they were, they were passing that on successfully enough through study of scripture most likely that they knew about manna. So this question, what is the true bread from heaven, comes from an exchange between Jesus and a crowd of people. Right here in John 6, 30 and 31. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? That what work do you perform? So Jesus had been teaching them, but they're asking for a sign. Well, this is, if you remember John 6, the beginning of John 6 is Jesus feeds the 5,000. So with bread, right? Bread and two fish. Jesus feeds them, and now they're asking for a sign. So, and that's, by the way, the reason that the crowd had tracked down Jesus again. Because he had fed them with, had fed the 5,000, because they had seen the sign. And so now they're asking for a sign. So he'd been teaching them that they need to believe in him. And they ask for a sign. And here is their justification for asking for a sign. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. 
As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they hadn't forgotten about the manna at all. In fact, they were happy to use that to try to get Jesus to make them some more bread. And then Jesus responds this way. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So that's where this question comes from. What is the true bread from heaven? Well, they had known about manna. They, they were remembering manna. And it was a, it's a big deal in the history of Israel that, that God provides this manna. But Jesus says there's something else. There is a true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives Life to the world. So what is the true bread from heaven? The true bread from heaven is the bread of God that he sends down from heaven and gives life. So obviously, we're talking, Jesus is talking about himself here, right? Jesus is the true bread from heaven. And the ultimate reason that God gives manna in the wilderness and God gives manna during during what we're reading in Exodus is to point us to Jesus is so that when people question about this manna they they look to Jesus as the true bread from heaven so Jesus had been teaching them up to this point about don't work for bread that perishes, work for bread that's going to give you eternal life. And, you know, they're kind of half lost there, but they, they want that bread, right? But he says you'll give it to, through believing. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. We want this bread. Give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You're asking for manna. I'm giving you something better than manna. You won't be hungry again. He's not talking primarily about physical hunger, although he knows what we need and he will provide what he needs. He's talking about what our other needs are, what we hunger and thirst for, in our souls that God has that God has given us so that we will search him out. You've heard that many times people when they when they when they come to faith say there was just a hole that I couldn't fill. Well as we look around our society right now, there are a lot of people trying to fill holes with won't with what will not fill them. You know, you, it can be Something as simple as materialism, it can be money, it can be, it can be all, it can be pleasure seeking. But if you just look around, desperately thinking how badly we want to fill that hole, you could go 
you could just start thinking about. You know, I, I think it's really, really a good idea. It's, it's so important that I find out this thing that I need to find my identity, right? I need to, I need to find my identity. We think that's such a good idea in our society that we should encourage kids to get surgery so they can find their true identity. We have massive holes that we can't fill and that those things don't fill. There's only one way to fill them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip down a little bit farther um, in John, because John, John is 70, I'm trying to remember if it's 71 or 73 verses long. It's the bread chapter, by the way. Okay, John 6 is the bread chapter. Jump down a few verses to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. That's great. They had, the, they had the manna in the wilderness, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. So this is what Jesus is providing. You will eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give him for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So you can see that there. this is probably... Jesus means to stir up this question from them, by the way. Notice what he says here. If anybody eats this bread... He will live forever. And then he says, the bread that you're supposed to eat is my flesh. So their question is, is quite a natural question then and something that we should think about. What does it mean? The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man Give us his flesh to eat. Now that's a that's a that's a good question. What does that mean? And so we're going to add it to our list. We're going to add a third question. What does it mean to eat his flesh? Because that's what it talks about right here. Here here's the longer section of a longer section out of it. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Um, they were not supposed to drink blood. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is to true drink. So we know that that through Jesus' body, his bodily suffering, that he carried our sins to the cross and that we are atoned for by his blood. But what does this mean? 
It is a hard saying, and it is a hard saying. And disciples left over this saying, over this teaching. They left Jesus over this teaching. Well, obviously it can't be literal, right? It it can't mean that you have to actually physically eat someone's body and drink someone's blood. It can't possibly mean that. So, what does it mean? Does it, does it, mean, does it mean taking communion? You, you take the body and the blood. Does it mean that? Well, it can't possibly mean that either, and here's why. Verse 53 says this, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You can't substitute it. Unless you take communion, you have no life in you. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So you can't say, whoever takes communion has eternal life. Lots of people take communion who shouldn't take communion. It's supposed to be for believers. But you can't say, if you take communion, you have eternal life. So clearly this is a, this is a figurative thing. So, so what does it say? Whoever feeds on my flesh, is verse 54, and drinks my blood has eternal life, And I will raise him up on the last day. So notice these things. Whoever whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So I mentioned that, that this is the bread chapter. There's a lot in here, a lot of teaching in here by Jesus. But let's compare it to this. But pay attention to these things. What he's comparing is the one that feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood. Okay, is going to have eternal life, and Jesus will raise him up on the last day. So, back to if you if you have your Bible out, go back to verse forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Same, same things, right? Eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what he is, what these th- two things compare is eating Jesus' flesh and drinking him blood. His blood is comparative, comparable, comparable, comparable. There we go. There isn't, I didn't, there isn't a new word. Comparable to. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. And both those things, both of those things are classified in this thing of, well, if you do that, you have eternal life, and I raise you up on the last day. And then, but there, there's even more to it with this, with this um, life, eternal life thing. At the end of this thing, after, after the disciples go away, remember Jesus asked the, the apostles, do you guys want to go too? And, and Peter says this, Lord, 
To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, so you can't separate believing in Jesus from his words. That's not, a, that's not an option. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe what he says. That, that's not possible. He has the words of eternal life, which is e- equated other places as well. But this is right out of John chapter 6 again, where he's in the same teaching. As a, actually, as a response to that teaching that he was teaching the crowds. So, what does it mean to eat his flesh? Well, it's faith in Christ. It's abiding in Christ. It's feeding on Christ. And that's, that's the word that the, that the ESV uses uh, back in, uh, I think it's verse 54. Feeding on Christ, which is a good word. It, it's a different translation. It means something different. For, usually means something different from just eating. Feeding on. Continually feeding on Christ. So that's, that's what we do, right? Faith in Christ, abiding in Christ, feeding on Christ. We did that this morning. It's why we're here tonight. It's why you read your Bibles every day. Feeding on Christ. That's what we're doing. Feeding on Him. Abiding in Him. Trusting Him. Believing Him enough to believe His words. Believing in Him enough to want to know His words. Believing in Him to act out those words. Becoming disciples. That's what it means. To feed on and drink from Jesus. Jesus. 